Welcome to the Black Money Matters podcast presented to you by the Los Angeles Sentinel and Chase Bank. I'm your host, Danny Bakewell Jr. This podcast series aims to empower our community by providing the tools needed to build financial wealth through home ownership, entrepreneurship, and financial literacy. On today's podcast, we will be discussing building and maintaining Black wealth. Joining us in the conversation is Chelsea Crowder-Luke. She's vice president and banker at J.P. Morgan Private Bank in Los Angeles. She creates, implements, and monitors investment planning strategies for wealthy individuals, families, foundations, and endowments. Hello, Chelsea. Thank you for joining us. Hey, Danny. It's great to be here, especially with such an iconic L.A. institution such as the Sentinel. I am looking forward, hopefully, to you guys bringing back Taste of Soul soon and being able to attend this summer. Oh, we are we are very excited. As of today, we are definitely bringing Taste of Soul back. So we are excited and our, our team is working diligently to bring Taste of Soul back. So we look forward to having everybody out uh, in October and uh, we'll bring all those black businesses and community organizations together for a real good time. So it should be, it should be wonderful. It'd be nice to see everybody again. Like so many people, we're all dying to get back to whatever the new normal looks like. So exactly. that's it. Well, Chelsea, before we dive into our conversation about building wealth, please tell us about your journey into financial, into the financial industry and how you began working at J.P. Morgan Chase Private Bank. Yeah, absolutely. I am a California native, um, and I was raised in Sacramento uh, by a single mother. My mom is an attorney, um, and you know, did a, a great job, you know, providing for my sister and I, and and you know, kind of teaching us to the best of her ability as we were growing up. But I certainly had never heard of Wall Street. Um, didn't know financial services was was really a, a job that I could explore, and had no interaction with a bank outside of the local bank that I had a bank account at, where I could go in and talk to the teller and and you know get my get my money. And I ended up going to Columbia University for college in New York City, where I studied industrial engineering and operations research and. Uh, my twin sister and I both went there and my mom said, hey, when you get out to New York, you need to figure out what it is that people do there and make sure you don't come home. And so I, I was frantically going around campus and, and trying to figure out what it was that people did, you know, with their summers and a lot of different financial firms were coming to the campus as well. And there was a black alumni by the name of George Van Amsen, and he would host dinners to inform and educate black students about careers in financial services. And I went to one of those dinners, I met some folks and I said, okay, these people are people people and they're also numbers people. I'm both of those, and I, and I think that maybe I can do this. And so I started interning um, in financial services um, at another firm when I was in college um, and then started full-time as an equity derivative sales trader um, on the trading floor uh, before moving into a group that was focused on social impact and impact investing. Um, and then ultimately to the role that I'm in now uh, with the private bank at JP Morgan. Uh, so, so didn't grow up 
knowing that I wanted to work on Wall Street or, or within financial services. But I think the more that I learned about it, the more that I met folks in the industry, um, the, the more I realized that this was something that I felt that I could have a future in, one where I could make an impact on the community that I intend to serve. And I feel like there are so many people like me who never heard anything about this growing up. I remember I would call my grandfather when I was leaving work and he would say, you're getting up and you're going to work at five in the morning. And, you know, I turn on CNBC and I never see you on my TV. This doesn't sound glamorous. <laughs> and I was like, oh, grand, grand, trust me, I'm learning a lot. Um, and, and I think that to be able to get this knowledge and, and hopefully help to spread this knowledge is something that is really, really important to me. Well, you know, like, I think you have a fascinating story, in, including the fact that you're a twin, which I never knew, because, you know, I'm, I'm the father of twin girls who are 24 years old. So I can, oh, I love I, it. I find that fascinating because I know all about that, that twin connection that, that yes. goes on there. You know, people we don't talk understand every it. single day. She lives 10 minutes away from me, just up the street. Um, so, yeah, the, the twin connection is real. All right. Yeah, I, I can bear witness to it. So I, I, I watched it for I've been watching it for 24 years, working its way through. So I get it. Well, look, you, you talked about a lot of people that were part of your support network, your your mom and the, and the gentleman at Columbia who held the the dinners. Um, but so obviously you and your grandfather, matter of fact, but so obviously you have um, mentors and, and people in a support system. First off, how important is mentorships and the experience of having a mentor uh, and how has that shaped your career? Yeah, I think that that mentorship is extremely crucial. Um, the power of sight is so important in informing what we think the possibilities are for our own lives. And I remember when I was in high school, I was in this thing called the Math, Engineering and Science Achievement. So yes, I've been a nerd my entire life. And there were two black women who were engineers who came in and spoke with us. And that was how I decided that I wanted to pursue engineering academically. I had never met someone who was an engineer who looked like me before. And then, you know, working in, in financial services, another little anecdote for you, I've been interning, you know, over the summers and my mom attended an event in Sacramento that featured Melody Hobson of Aerial Investments. And she goes up to her after the event and she was like, you know, Melody, my daughter wants to work in financial services. She has an internship this summer. She's a sophomore in college and I'd love for her to be able to meet you. And Melody gave her her card and said, you know, have your daughter follow up with me. Um, and that ended up resulting in me being able to spend a day with her where I really got to do a day in the life, to go to different speaking engagements, to hear her in meetings, pitching strategies to firms. And that was the first time that I had ever seen someone who looked like me operating at that level in the industry that I wanted to be in. And it really made me think there might be a space for me here. I think that I can maybe do this. And so I think that 
to have that, to be able to see, you know, a representation of yourself um, in the spaces that you hope to one day inhabit is so crucial. And, you know, I can think of other folks, there was a guy named Stratford Dennis who would have me come down from school on Fridays. I would take the subway down and I would meet with him on the trading floor to go through drills and, 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 and markets and just trying to better understand, you know, Ann Matthews was a couple years ahead of me um, on the trading floor and someone who's now gone on to have an amazing career in private equity and, you know, being able to build these relationships early on with people where I could say, you know, hey, should I send this email or, you know, what do you think about this? Or, you know, is this something that I should be learning about was really, really crucial um, in informing the path that I took. You know, I definitely still rely heavily on my mentors. Um, and, and I hope that that I am a mentor to, to, to folks coming up in the industry as well. Wow, well, look, you know, having Melanie Hobson kind of teach you the ropes and, and all those other great people is, is, you know, fascinating. But also a tribute to you and your mom who reached out and, and made that first connection. So that's it. Well, let's let's dive into the topic for today. And I think the first question I have, like so many people have, is how do you define wealth? What does that mean? What does that mean to you? What that should that mean to other people? I think, you know, when you when you define wealth, it's really the accumulation of, you know, assets that have monetary value. But I think most importantly, um, you know, a distinction to make is also value that can be passed on, whether it be to uh, your heirs, to, to your children, to your family members, to your relatives, to causes that you care about, something that is going to outlast the time that you have here on Earth. Well, in, in breaking that down to another level, what's the difference between being rich and what and being wealthy? I, I think that's a, a really important distinction to draw. And it's something that we see here in L.A., I, I think almost more than than maybe anywhere else where, you know, there are people who make a lot of money and also spend a lot of money. Um, you know, because the, the the cost of living is high, because you know their 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 desires are are, are such that 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 you know is, is what they do, um, but but ultimately that um, doesn't allow them to accumulate assets that are going to be then passed on to the next generation, because you're really you know working spending. Um, and just kind of repeating that cycle. Um, so you can have, you know, a lot of money in the bank, but if your expenditures are so high that you're not a net saver, that you're not investing and accumulating for the future, it doesn't really mean that you're wealthy. Right. And how do we begin to build wealth within the Black community? Yeah, I think that historically within the Black community, we are very used to working for money and we're not as used to having our money work for us. So many of us have been taught that you go to work, you produce an output, you get paid for that output, and then you use the money that you've been paid to be able to spend uh, to, to cover your bills. And the reality is that that mindset means that you probably will need to work until the day that you die. And that when you die, you're not going to have anything to be able to pass on to the next generation. And so I think that, you know, some of it is employing a little bit of a mindset shift in terms of 
what we think we're working for. And then ultimately, you know, being really disciplined about budgeting and saving such that budgeting, saving and investing, I should say, such that the money that we earn while we are working is able to work for us. And hopefully the people and the causes that we care about well beyond the time that, that we're working and, 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 you know, even the time that we're here. Well, you know, we've talked about this before, you know, building wealth um, requires a great deal of discipline. And first off, what would you recommend as um, an investment strategy for, you know, African-Americans or just clients in general? And how do you create that that discipline and understanding of build, of the future, of, of yeah. creating wealth for the future? Yeah. And, and, and I mean, I, I've heard people say, you know, it's difficult to to think about the future when you're you're focused on survival and the here and now. Um, I also have, you know, clients who have amassed a significant amount of capital um, and, and spend a lot of money. And the reality is that many of them didn't necessarily even think that they would be around as long as they've been around already. Um, and, and so when you're thinking about the discipline that it takes to accumulate wealth, you really have to have that mindset where you're thinking about the future. You're thinking about the life that you wanna live. You're thinking about what you want to be able to provide for your family and really rooting all of the financial decisions that you're making in those goals. Um, knowing that some of the decisions that you make today are not things for you in the here and now, but for future versions of yourself or, or for you know children um, or children's children that are yet to come. And, and I'll use myself as an example um, you know, since I started working, I have maxed out my retirement plan every single year of my life. And I always invest in an IRA in addition to funding my 401k. And initially I was like, oh gosh, that kind of hurts. Um, you know, $20,000, it's not going to be going to me, not available for me to, to spend today. But that money is accumulating over time. And the reality is I think about it as, you know, paying myself first. This isn't money for Chelsea today, but this is money for 65 year old Chelsea, 66 year old Chelsea who doesn't want to work anymore um, and, and still wants to be able to maintain the standard and quality of life, you know, that, that I enjoy. Um, and so really kind of rooting the financial decisions that you're making today and the goals that you have for the future. And, you know, there are, you know, kind of basic rules surrounding budgeting, you know, the 50, 30, 20 rules, spend, flex, save in terms of how your life should be set up, what you're thinking about in terms of right-sizing your life and living within your means. Um, you know, do you necessarily need, you know, to have, you know, the, the nicest luxury car or multiples of that nicest luxury car? Do you necessarily need um, to have, you know, the the space that you do and, and thinking about acquiring assets that are going to appreciate versus depreciate in value over time um, and, and exercising that discipline to say, this is the money that I earn that I'm going to carve out and set aside for my future. 
this is the money that I earn that I'd really like to invest. And when you're thinking about, you know, specific investment strategies, I think, you know, the, the first thing is, you know, to always make sure that you're, you're maxing out your retirement to the extent possible. Um, and, and then looking at, you know, taxable investments. And, and I would say, you know, within our community, one thing um, that, that, you know, some black folks have done well is, is be able to accumulate real estate. Um, whether it is a primary residence, a you know secondary home, an investment property, um, that is a portion of an investment strategy, but also really gaining comfort in investing in public markets, which I think is something that historically we haven't done as much of, but we're starting to see the participation rate of Black folks doing that increase significantly amongst the millennial and the Gen Z population, um, which is something that I think is really important part of this investment strategy as well. And when I say investment in public markets, I'm talking about, you know, your stocks and your bond portfolio. Well, you know, look, all of this is great. And I think I want to take a step back and say you have a lot of people who who are wealthy, who, who've got some wealth and have, have succeeded. But you also have a whole nother generation that is just kind of getting started. And so often we really haven't been educated. Our parents haven't educated us on what are the tools and resources? We don't know. I'm, I'm always shocked by how many people don't understand the importance of having a family trust or something like that to avoid tax consequence or inheritance tax and all of those kinds of things. So how does a person go about learning all of these tools and resources and things that are available and very necessary as you're building your future? It may sound like it's easy for me to say this in my position as someone who works at a financial institution, but one of the things that I love about finance is everything is pretty available. Um, to this day, I still use Investopedia on a very regular basis to familiarize myself with different financial concepts. Um, so I think reading to be able to begin to access information is really important, but also having conversations. I found that within our community, a lot of times folks don't want to talk about money. They feel like it's tacky, you know, it's not something that you're supposed to do. You should keep, you know, family business to yourself. And I think that a lot of times what that does is fuel an environment where folks don't want to share. And so they're just recreating the will. Um, and, and a lot of times navigating things for the first time by themselves. And so what I have done and what I'm definitely trying to continue to do is normalize having conversations about the things that I'm doing in my life with my friends, with my family, with the people who I care about to ensure that there is some level of awareness um, of, of, of what's available. And you don't need a financial advisor. You don't need someone um, who, who does this as, as a professional on a day-to-day -day basis if you have the bandwidth and the time to be able to start to research some of these things on your, on, on your own. It can be as simple as starting with you know, an online account and saying that I'm going to fund my IRA every year um, and then, you know, as you get to, you know, kind of more complex levels of wealth, your balance sheet becomes a little bit more complicated. It may make sense to bring in that advisor who's going to be a dedicated resource to be able to focus on you and your family specific situation. And a lot of times 
there are multiple legs of the stool in building that financial team. The financial advisor is one piece that's gonna really speak to being able to grow wealth over time, to help with wealth preservation and to make sure that you're continuing to grow your balance sheet and investing in a risk adjusted way. You also are gonna need an accountant, someone who's being really thoughtful about you know, your, your taxes and, and the ways in which um, you're structuring your life and your businesses to be able to be most efficient from that sense. And it's also important to the point that you made to have someone who is focused on what happens with your assets when you are no longer around. I was in a room and there was a trust and estate attorney who asked people to raise their hands if they had a will. And I would say maybe half of the people in the room raised their hand. And he was like, that's wrong. Actually, every single person in this room has a will. And it is whatever the state that you live in decides it is, whether you have one or not. So that means that if you are a California state resident and you pass away, whatever happens with the financial assets that you've accumulated over the course of your life is going to be up to the state. Do you want that power in the hands of the state or do you wanna be able to make those decisions while you're living? And that is some of the importance in having, having a will, having a trust, making sure that you're titling your assets appropriately in the name of your trust so that your family and the people who you care about are able to access those things without having to go through a judicial probate process that's really public. Um, and, and these are some of the conversations that we need to be having more within our community. Um, let me ask you this real quick. What advice do you have for someone who might not be in a position of wealth, but has the potential to be wealthy? I don't think it is ever too early to get started. Um, I think a lot of folks are like, oh, you know what? That conversation is for later. You know, I I'm still building um, and, and don't want to think about the, the future in that way. Even if you are saying, you know what? I'm going to take $20 every month and I'm going to make sure that I'm allocating that to investing in my retirement, that's something. And that something is going to be able to accumulate over time. And there are many ways that you can do that in a very low cost way um, through, you know, platforms that are available online. So I would say get out of the mindset of I'm not wealthy, this doesn't apply to me. There are absolutely things that you can be doing today. I think being really intentional about what your financial goals are, budgeting, saving, you know, utilizing some of the platforms online that are available to help you think through what you spend um, is super crucial. And saying, you know what, I'm gonna take a targeted approach to budgeting to make sure that I'm saving for my goals that will then allow me subsequently to invest for the long term that will help me over time be able to accumulate my wealth. There have been times when I have said, I, I remember um, I was a couple years out of college. I had been saving. I didn't really know what I was saving towards. Um, and again, to, to speak to the point of, you know, kind of the racial wealth gap, um, you know, and, and the fact that the average white family has about 10 times the wealth of the average black family, the most significant part of that is inheritance. Um, so the reality is, you know, my husband and I, we live, you know, here in Lamert Park, and we were looking at the possibility of being able to move to, you know, View Park or Baldwin Hills, you know, both historically black neighborhoods here in Los Angeles. And 
we would go in, you know, as, you know, someone who works in finance and my husband, who's an attorney looking at homes. And the reality is that our situation and the situation of, you know, a young white couple that may earn less can be very, very different based on inheritance, based on what's been available to them in terms of financial resources to be able to be competitive in that offer process, which then allows them to accumulate more wealth. And so it's kind of this snowball effect that happens. And a part of it is just being able to get in the game. Um, when I was a couple of years out of college, I'd saved some money and my mother was like, you know what? I, I think you should purchase an investment property. I was like, I don't have enough money for an investment property. I'm just trying to pay my bills. And she was like, I think you do, you know, let, let's kind of look and, and figure it out. And, you know, unfortunately, my my father's mother my grandmother she had passed away and she left me with you know a small inheritance and it was something that allowed me to feel comfortable taking that leap and knowing that i was going to be able to cover the expenses for a couple of months if i wasn't able to find a renter for that property um you know and i've owned that property now for you know, six years and, and in that amount of time, the appreciation that I've seen has has been significant. Um, and a part of it was was being able to take that leap at a time when I felt really uncertain, when I felt like I can't accumulate wealth right now. I'm just trying to pay my bills. Um, but again, I don't want to to make it sound like it was an easy decision to make. Um, and, and also, you know, the reality is for many of us, the option associated with having that, you know, a little bit of inheritance from grandma, you know, isn't available. But I, I would say that thinking about doing things now to be able to accumulate wealth over time, um, future versions of yourself will thank you. Right. So let, let me ask you this, you know, as a, as a wealth manager, and let's say a person does has put together a financial plan, they've been disciplined enough. How often do you recommend that you sit down and relook and reassess what your plans are? Things change. And yeah. so often things change and we don't think to go back and revisit our trust or revisit our will or make adjustments to those. Um, and like you said, if you don't make those adjustments, you know, what what can happen is you're you're left to the state. Yeah. I, I absolutely think that it's important to make those, to revisit those plans when there's been any major life event. Um, someone is born, someone passes away, a marriage, a divorce, um, anything that might change the way in which you think about what you want to happen with your finances. Um, again, another anecdote that I heard from a trust and estate attorney, it is extremely important to pay attention to who your beneficiaries are for your insurance, for your retirement accounts. Um, there was a situation where a gentleman had been married um, and was divorced and had updated his trust to reflect the new spouse but had not updated the beneficiary on his retirement account. And the beneficiary on his retirement account was his prior spouse. And all of those funds went to that prior spouse. And she knew that she was no longer married to the gentleman. You know, there was a new wife, there were trust documents that 
dictated that the funds should go to the new spouse, but the beneficiaries on those in, on those retirement accounts were still the prior spouse. And so anytime there is a major life event, it is extremely important to make sure that you kind of revisit that financial plan. And I would even go, you know, so far as to say it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, the birth, the passing, you know, a, a marriage or a dissolution of a marriage. You know, it can just be time. It can be a change of a job. It can be age that may make you feel like you need to rethink how you're investing your assets. You know, maybe when, you know, you're earlier in your career, you want to take more risk. And as you're thinking about getting to the later stages of your career, you want to be more conservative because the time in which you're going to need to pull from that capital is approaching. And so I think, you know, to revisit that plan, at least I would say every three to five years is probably a good metric. But, you know, again, if in the interim, there are those big major life events that happen, it's important to make sure that the plan that you've established is consistent with the reality of your life. Well, you know, you know, JP Morgan Chase has done a really, you know, good job at reaching out into the African-American and the Black community and trying to just get us to understand these things. Are there any trends you often see that resonate within our community when it comes to spending, saving, investing, you know, what, what are you seeing as, as a vice president of a, and wealth manager? Yeah, um, I, I think that, um, you know, it's no secret that there has been historic kind of distrust amongst, um, you know, the black community and financial institutions for a variety of reasons going all the way back to, you know, reconstruction, you know, Greenwood and Black Wall Street, um, redlining and, and, and so many, um, you know, kind of different historical barriers that have existed. Um, I think that uh, we have been really intentional about forming relationships with minority depository institutions, Black banks. I think that that's super important that these organizations are, you know, in our communities being very intentional about the work that they're doing and ensuring that the funds are reaching the communities that we intend to serve. Um, I, I would say that um, I think because of that distrust historically of financial institution, there's also been a significant kind of uptick in interest within the Black community when it comes to, you know, kind of you know, DeFi, disintermediating financial institutions, cryptocurrency, blockchain. Um, and um, I think that it's important to be knowledgeable about the things that are coming up. You know, we all saw what happened with, um, you know, AMC and GameStop and some of the meme stocks during the pandemic. Um, I think that it's amazing that all of us now have access to financial markets on our phones um, and are able to participate in, in buying, selling and, 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 and trading stocks. Um, you know, and, and we saw a big trend amongst what we call, you know, some of the social distance darlings. We're on Zoom uh, today, as an example. Um, Peloton, Netflix, companies that were positioned to do really well over the course of the pandemic, um, and, and a lot of folks who were participating in, in buying those stocks, you know, within the Black community. Um, I think that most importantly, um, do your research, invest in what you know, and then also take a diversified approach. Um, because you've also, you know, heard stories of folks that have, 
you know, instead of paying their rent, decided to purchase cryptocurrency, um, you know, thinking that they were going to be able to make a quick dollar. And by and large, my experience has been that investing is a long term game. Um, you know, there's, you know, years like the year that we've had so far where markets are down, you know, more than 16%. Um, and you have to be able to weather that volatility. So making sure that you're comfortable with the amount of risk that you're taking and with what you're saving to be able to participate. Um, I also think that historically, um, you know, our community has been a little bit more averse to debt. Um, I know that I was always taught that I should only buy something if I can pay for it cash. Um, and so thinking about ways to utilize other people's money um, and, and in this case, banks to be able to do the things that you want to do, um, you know, whether that is, you know, access to a mortgage and, and buying a home um, or, or whether it is, you know, utilizing a small business loan to be able to grow your business. Um, I think that, um, you know, getting to have a little bit more comfort with credit and borrowing is something that we're kind of continuing to do as a community. Well, you know, I mean, the honest it, it, of, of that is on us. Um, you know, as, as banks to to make sure that we're in the community, making folks more comfortable with using some of these products. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this last question is, you know, I mean, how can people participate in the various wealth building programs that J.P. Morgan Chase offers? Yeah, absolutely. I think it, it really depends on where you are on your journey. Um, I think if you're just getting started, um, you can open a U-Invest account online <laughs> as a way to be able to access markets um, and just kind of get involved. Um, definitely visiting your local Chase branch. I live a stone's throw away from a community innovation branch here that we have on Crenshaw, um, which is a community resource with bankers who are there specifically with the job of being able to educate the community about the products and services that we have available. And if you're really thinking about, you know, well, I, I, I've been working, I've been saving, I've started to accumulate wealth, maybe it is time for me to engage that person, you know, looking at the, the various network of financial advisors that we have, you know, either through our Chase private client business or folks like me who work in the JP Morgan private bank, um, but starting to have those conversations to think about what might make sense in terms of building a financial plan for yourself. So a person can go to the, the, the Crenshaw branch and say, I've got X amount of dollars and they can help them to find, you know, the right, the right size to help, to help them, whether it's a hundred thousand dollars or a hundred dollars. Absolutely. Um, and I would say if you're going to the branch on Crenshaw, ask for my friend Jordan King. He's the community innovation manager there. Um, so for, for any folks who are listening to the podcast who happen to live in the community, tell them I sent you. Well, Chelsea, thank you so much for taking time. Be safe. And uh, we look forward to talking to you again. And uh, we'll see you at definitely at Taste of Soul, if not soon. See you at Taste of Soul. Thank you, Danny. Thank you. Bye-bye. Please join us next time on the Black Money Matters podcast as we discuss ways to empower our community and get our people financially healthy. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook and subscribe to us on YouTube at Los Angeles Sentinel Newspaper. Thank you for listening.